why would an outside firm have more courage and more wisdom than your own rankings room? That's the question that's being asked here. Don't shoot the messenger. It's plain as day. This isn't Chael versus you. This is your partner, your sports betting franchise partner, who says you, rankings room, don't know what you're doing. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. You know, I hope you all enjoyed a very Merry Christmas with your families, and I hope that you didn't miss me all too much. I apologize for not being here on Tuesday, but I rushed to get back to you guys today and coming up on today's show. We might see Alex Piera face Tom Aspinall for the heavyweight title at UFC 300. Are you ready for that? I'm going to discuss it, plus Joe Rogan made headlines when he did a podcast with Bo Nickel, and I'm going to tell you what direction I think Israel Adesanya should go in next. All of that is coming up on today's show, but I want to begin with a reaction to some of the latest news on Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor, Middle East, Ronaldo. Is this this guy's name? Christian Ronaldo, uh, soccer player, handsome dude. Okay, you have to understand, because I'm trying to set the scene for you. And the scene, you've heard the expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. It's very real in this moment. Conor McGregor comes over, looks like a million bucks. You know, he's got the suit. And and then Conor's got like these little movements he does. Conor's got like these little, little movements where he can like adjust but he looks cool doing it. There's a message in that. These are all these are all rehearsed. None of these are just done. There's a showman here. One of the kings of giving you a message with subtle movements is The Rock. The Rock, as good as he was on the stick, if you only heard that, like if that was taped to a CD, he would still be very good at it, but it wouldn't be the same. He had little move. I mean, for goodness sakes, the eyebrow was a movement. Connor has these movements. He comes over. He does like a, like a Middle East, like a like like a hello, like a, a pray and a, and a nod to Christian Ronaldo, who does not acknowledge his existence. And then Connor sits down, and it's very interesting because there's a whole row of empty seats. Now I admit that the seat that was assigned for Connor was right next to Ronaldo. I'm just saying there was 20 empty seats. He could put a little room until the next guest came. Either way, sits down shoulder to shoulder and then begins leaning over. Possibly sports' very biggest star, which I like. I like that Connor did it. I thought it was a very cool alpha-style move. Ronaldo is meeting him back with an alpha-style move, not acknowledging that Connor exists. However, being fully aware that this man will kill me, so I better be on my best behavior. Like, the whole thing was just very interesting. Then there's another person. And I believe the other person, as I referred to them, was a member of the media to some degree. I think he might have taken my spot. In fact, I, I got asked to come to this thing. I couldn't go. I think that this guy might have had my spot, but not for nothing. Connor starts making his case. He wants this person, who I'm declaring to be a member of the media, possibly the boxing media, to hear his story. And his story is simply about Manny Pacquiao. I want the Pacquiao fight. I was supposed to have the Pacquiao fight a while ago. And Connor did have... Audie and Connor started a management company, and they did sign Pacquiao, and Pacquiao did do them dirty. It was, it was very in line with the way boxers treat people in that industry, but it was very out of line with the way MMA people would allow it to happen. So when Pacquiao did it dirty, they actually took him to court, 
and Pacquiao lost, and it was it was like eight million dollars. It was a meaningful judgment against Pacquiao, and it was a slam dunk case. Pacquiao was completely in breach of this contract. Relevant that you know that because Connor brings up and says, "Hey, I want to fight Pacquiao, and Pacquiao wants to fight me." The only problem we have is the weight class, and it's a problem on Pacquiao's behalf. P- Pacquiao feels the weight that I'm willing to fight him at is too heavy. Connor's saying, "But look, I'm coming to his sport." I got to leave me grappling. I got to leave me kicks. I got to leave me elbows and I got to leave me knees behind. So in exchange for me letting all these tools go, don't you think that it's right that he spot me a few pounds? Quite frankly, it's a perfectly logical argument. It's just a simple case that we've all now been revealed, right? I mean, what none of us thought was true, turns out it is true. It turns out a good mixed martial artist can beat the greatest boxers alive. That's no longer a question. Like Conor McGregor kicking Floyd's ass for 30 minutes. And I I don't need to hear back from him. I know that Floyd kicked his ass right back, but it was extremely competitive. Watching Francis Ngannou kick Tyson Fury's ass for 30 minutes. And I understand Fury kicked his ass right back. But what I'm saying is, yeah, all of a sudden the weight does matter. All of a sudden, the apparatus of the of the ring versus the cage does matter. All of a sudden, whether it's cotton or horse hair getting put in those gloves and whether those gloves are 16 ounces or 12 ounces, all of a sudden, it really matters. The great advantage to the great boxer that we all believed would be true, turns out it's not. Turns out that's not all that complicated of a sport. Turns out it's not all that sweet and there's nothing scientific about it, but we didn't know these things going in. So now you do understand where Pacquiao is going to defend himself. Like, he doesn't want to be the first one to go down. And, okay, but but this is only part of the messaging, guys, right? The other part of the messaging is Conor making his his case. And Conor said, he's talking about MMA now. Okay, he goes back and forth between boxing and MMA. He bounces back to MMA and he says, for all I've done for them, they should roll the red carpet out for me. Nobody has been mistreated. In the history of our sport, which, yes, is a Donald Trump quote, turns out Connor watches Donald Trump, and says, nobody in the history of our sport has been treated the way that I'm being treated. Now, I got to tell you, and see, I'm a closet Connor fan. You know, that's that's one thing you got to know about me. I'm I'm a closet mark. I like to know what he's doing. I find it interesting. I find forged beer and proper 12 whiskey interesting. I find it interesting that he opened a burger and fry joint. And I find it very interesting that he is now the biggest star. See, make no mistake, Red Panty Night is real. Make no mistake about that. Boxing, possibly with Canelo, but with no exception aside from Canelo, has as big of a star as Conor. So whether it's in MMA or it's in boxing, you must understand there's a reason that he is sat side by side and shoulder to shoulder with the biggest star in all of sport, Christian Ronaldo. I mean, you've got to understand it's real. The Conor effect is real. But like anything, it's going out. Uh, Christian Ronaldo's star, as bright as it is, it only goes one way, right? It, it only goes out once you reach the very top. It's, that's basic biology. What goes up must come down. Anything red hot can only cool off. Like, we understand these things. So to see Connor fighting for his position and fighting for number one and fighting for that status and fighting for the ability to go out there and perform and to compete and to entertain all of you, I liked it. I thought it was a very humbling moment. 
I thought it was a very cool thing that Connor was pleading his case in two different directions. He's pleading it to the UFC and he's not happy about whatever is delaying his return. And over there, he is being very sincere when he tells you guys anybody, any weight, any time. He's serious about that. He understands that's to be a determined weight class at a determined date against specifically Michael Chandler. He understands that. But when he says anybody, that isn't his way of trying to shun Chandler. That's his way of making you right away. Whoever you can give me, whenever you can give it to me. I'll do Chandler, but I don't want to wait. If you got somebody that's even faster, I want to do it even faster. He's being sincere. And you know, there's always something that makes the greats great. But sometimes you miss it. And Connor being grounded and being hungry, I got to tell you, I, I thought it was encouraging. It's not going to affect the physicality. It's not going to affect the outcome or the performance. But it, it does speak to how he became a two-division simultaneous champion. It does speak to that. You know, one of the things I find most interesting about Conor McGregor, he went out and copyrighted. He actually trademarked the term champ champ. Are you guys aware of that? Champ champ is his. Now, the only person that's going to tell you that you need a patent or a trademark is an attorney that does patents and trademarks. They're basically not worth the paper that they're written on. I just find it interesting that he coined the term champ champ when he himself is a champ champ champ. He forgot one of them. Conor McGregor had so much success, he forgot one of his world to I watched him win the interim championship. I was there live. I watched him get sang to the ring by Sinead O'Connor. I watched some bumpkin with a cowboy hat sing Chad Mendes to the ring. I watched the entire thing. He was the 45-pound champion. He was the 55-pound champion. He was the interim champion. He won three of them. He only copyrighted two of them. It's a very interesting thing, and it speaks to the hunger of Conor McGregor. And I do not know of anybody that has quite been treated the way that Conor has been treated. And it's to the point that the brass of the UFC even agrees. When they part ways and did a very public breakup with USADA, which the company was forced to do because USADA decided to publicly try to shame them first, Hunter Campbell and Jeff Nowitzki specifically brought up Conor McGregor in the innuendo that USADA was doing to Conor McGregor as one of the reasons that they didn't want to be in business with them anymore. So there is a leg for Conor to stand on here. I would have to remind Conor of one thing, and I'd have to remind all of you of one thing, because Conor makes a legitimate point. Conor has got a big miss with Pacquiao. That's not interesting. Now, whatever Conor does, is going to be more interesting than things that don't involve Connor. That's also true. But Connor versus Pacquiao isn't interesting. Connor versus Floyd was a bust. And I realize anywhere you read, you read something different. There's a reason that while Connor and Floyd were begging to rematch, there was no promoter willing to write that check again. That was a very bad night of business. That's the truth. It is something to see. A big star, a current, red panonite still real, a big star going after a guy that was really good and never a star, and you got to go back 12 years just to find one of those statements to be true. The big thing that you must remember and that Connor himself might need reminded of, he has to wait six months. When I go back to the press conference with Novitsky and Hunter Campbell addressing USADA's claims, Hunter was very clear to say, we're not going to fight USADA on the rule. We're not going to test the rule. We know the language they're speaking of. And while there could be something to test there, we're not. 
We are going to acquiesce. And whether it's with you or somebody else, Connor will be in the pool six months. Now, I don't have that in front of me, guys. I'm going off the top of my head. I do know that was after Halloween. And I do know it was somewhere closer to Thanksgiving. So let's just say that Connor's been in the pool 45 days. That's probably generous, but probably pretty close. He still has to wait six months. So in a best case scenario, you're talking about May and much more likely June at the earliest. And before Connor gets frustrated and thinks I don't have a date announced, nobody that's fighting in May and or June has been informed yet. Nobody has a date. No bout agreements are signed for that far out. The furthest, in fact, of any bout agreement signed by anybody in the organization is for UFC 300, which just to remind you is in April. So what might feel as though a mistreatment is actually very in line with the way everybody else is being treated. John O'Malley made a fantastic statement. It was more an argument, right? An argument starts with a statement and then you've got to come in and back it up. And all that Sean O'Malley said is the UFC is freezing Conor McGregor out because they would lose money. Sean O'Malley went into detail talking about the business model and how it has changed. And as interesting it was to hear what Sean was saying, you had to know what Sean was not saying. You had to know the part that he was living out. And I've played this same game a million times. A million times with you guys where I'm trying to give you just enough without, without putting myself into a pool of that information quits flowing my way because I didn't preserve it. It was very interesting to listen to. And it does beg a very interesting question. Does the UFC need Conor McGregor? And that is where the reality starts to be a little bit cold. Because... There can be things, there can be two truths that seem polar opposites that are accurate at the same time. For example, does the UFC need Conor McGregor? No. Well, Chael, how do you get to that? Well, they haven't had Conor in a meaningful period of time. In fact, I can't remember when, but I think it was two years. And they sold out event after event after event. But it is also true to understand Red Panty Night is real. Conor McGregor is the biggest star. Whether you're selling out or not, there's different level of box office that you can sell out talking about who your bigger draw is. Oh, and by the way, you've also got a pay-per-view portion of which they list the top 10 records and all 10 belong to Conor McGregor. That's also true. The single greatest marketing tool in the history of our industry is the ultimate fighter. There is not a close second. And Contender Series is starting to make a dent in that, but it doesn't quite have the history. So then you take Michael Chandler, who's a, a top 10 star in his own right, Conor McGregor, Red Panty Knight being number one. You put them with the vehicle of the Ultimate Fighter. You have something very special and very massive there, without question. Do you need to have that when the business models have changed? And here's where things start to get very complicated. And they do, in fact, get very complicated. A number of your bigger stars, even to go back, right? If I was to go back 10 years ago, the discussion that I'm having with you about pay-per-view is wildly different than the discussion I'm having with you about pay-per-view today. 
Ever since the digital era came along, pay-per-view, as you know, it is not remotely close to what it used to be. Now, let's say that I did one of those contracts, and it was built in, and it was pay-per-view, and it was very beautiful, and it was, it, 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 everything that I could ever want, everything that I ever heard that these other top fighters, from Linux Lewis to Mike Tyson on down, I've got the same thing within pay-per-view, but th let's just say that that model changes. I mean, not for nothing, this actually got tested in, in, in a little bit clearer situation where you had pay-per-view draws, pay-per-view stars were making very good pay-per-view money, and there was a deal that came along with a network called Fox. So when those very fights in that same kind of action with those same top-drawing athletes went over to Fox, there was no pay-per-view clause for you to participate in because it now wasn't even on pay-per-view. Just for example, but that didn't happen for the longest of times. From the time of the sale to Zufa LLC in 2001, it was for many, many years, well over a decade, that there was no product that was on television or able to even be seen that wasn't on pay-per-view. So for you to go in and negotiate a contract based on what it used to be would make a level of sense, and then it changes. And if you were in Conor McGregor's situation, which is you had the most beautiful contract out there, but you, you got removed for a period of time. In this case, guys, I want to say it's about two years. That fight with Dustin Poirier, I want, I want to say that was about two years, but this is off the top of my head. But when you're in an ever-changing world, not only ownership is changing, the business model is changing, to number one distribution partner is changing, to the way the sponsorships and sponsors are done is changing, to the way gaming and, 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 and likeness fees and trademarks and rights and acquisitions, intellectual properties, all of these things are changing very quickly and you've been on the sidelines. It's very hard for you to keep up. And so when you come back to the table, everybody's going to want to say, hey, we've already got a contract. This is the contract and this is the agreement. And you're going to have one side that says, yeah, but that's not the way that you do business anymore. Well, yeah, but that was one of the risks that I did when, when we did the deal. You could have fought at any time. You could have really capitalized and maximized. The fact that you didn't doesn't have anything to do with me. I mean, just, just for example, you could this, this thing could have fallen forward to, that made your contract much better. I'm still going to honor it. I'm going to honor the contract, good, bad, or indifferent. I'm going to honor it. But make no mistake... My model and my promise to the community has never changed. This is the ultimate proving ground where the best are going to fight the best. You either need to establish that you are a champion or you have the potential to become a champion. And as soon as it is demonstrated and clear that you are neither, you don't fight here anymore. And that is very cold, guys, but that is the deal. That's the deal that Dana has made with you, the public, and he has fiercely adhered to that deal. Now, of course, there's going to be exceptions along the way. Of course there are. Of course, if somebody is hurt and contracts change, you're still the sport's biggest star. You've still done things very well, but now you start to see where these conversations start to take place. And if you want to get smartened up on the business, there's a few things that you can do. There's a few things, but go listen to Sean O'Malley is one of them. Sean's not going to hand you all of the answers, but he has made it very clear that he does have those answers. So when you listen to him and then listen to him a second time and listen to him a third time, then come over here to Uncle Chael and you start going back and forth. It's not just what Sean is going to say or what Chael is going to say. It's also what we don't say. And it's important that you do know and it's important that you do listen and you do follow these types of things. You've got to know the industry. You've got to know the industry that you're in if you want to operate within the industry or if you want to manipulate the industry. And I would encourage people... I would encourage people. I mean, there, there's a few things that are almost a riddle. Why was the BMF belt never 
defended. If you want to know, if you want to really smarten yourself to what it is going on around you, if you can figure that out, you will know a lot. Why is there a ceremonial weigh-in? Why do you run towards regulation as opposed to from it? Now, I'm going way back. I'm going way back. I'm giving you the A to Z. But if you can answer those three questions, you'll know everything about this industry. And I guarantee you, you can talk to people who have worked in this industry for 20 years. There's less than five of them that can answer all three of those questions. Okay, UFC 300, big announcement, right? I want to say we've only been told of three UFC 300 fights. And that's one of them. Aljamain Sterling going to take on Cater. I'm trying to think of who the third one was. Maybe that was. Maybe that's what the one I told you that they're working on, which is Max versus uh, Justin Gaethje, which, by the way, isn't done. But I can confirm it for you there. Trying to get it done. You would think that's a big fight. That's my only point. If UFC 300 is coming up, everybody's talking about it. You would think this must be a very big fight. Brundage versus Nickel. So, guys, all I'm attempting to do here is to figure this out. I must tell you, if I got pulled into the UFC, you could point to any office, I could sit down and I could play. Anything. You could bring me into sponsorships, I could help you with it. You could bring me into production, you could bring me into PR, you could bring me into marketing. You're best to not bring me into matchmaking. You're best to not bring me. There is an art to matchmaking. There is a true art. And I think that you guys would know that even within yourselves. Because if I asked you to go out and make me a big fight, you're going to tell me Conor McGregor versus so-and-so. And you're going, didn't I do a great job, Jill? Well, you took the biggest star in the sport and you matched him up with somebody. No, you really didn't do that great of a job. Anybody can sell the Ferrari. Can you get the Volvo off the lot today? So... I want to just try to understand what's going on here. Okay, in Bo's last contest, it, it was a 24 to 1 favorite. 24 to 1 favorite represented the biggest disparity, the biggest line in the history of the UFC. Now, let's look at numbers. Bo Nickel is 27 years old. He's had five fights. His longest fight went two minutes and 40 some seconds. So, We've now got him in another fight on a feature card known as 300. He's a 14 to 1 favorite. Now, 14 to 1 favorite is about half as big of a favorite as he was in his last fight, but I can assure you, without even seeing the rest of the card, he will be the biggest favorite on the card. Not only will there be nobody that's a 14 to 1 favorite on the card, there aren't two people that you could match up together and get a 14 to 1 spread. You could take a Brand new 155 pounder, whoever that is, if as long as he's fought, but he could be brave, he could have he could be 0-1, and you could put him against King Khabib, and Khabib on his return fight will not be a 14 to 1 favorite, just to put in perspective for you. So Bo is a 14 to 1 favorite. 14 to 1 favorite is the odds maker saying, why are we doing this? There is no reason to do this fight. And I'm just looking at trying to understand. Is this a number situation? Do we need to get Bo X amount of fights before he goes in for a title? Do we need to get Bo X amount of fights before he goes into a top five? Do we need to get him X amount of fights before he goes into a rankings match? Is that all that this is? Because I can remember when Cosmo Chemayev 
was 4-0 in the UFC, and all of the pundits wanted him into a title fight with Kamar Usman. And we were told no. We were told it'd be a, it, he needed four, or I think maybe it was even five, more fights before we get there. Well, he had two fights, and then he did fight Kamar. Kamar was no longer the champion, and he beat Kamar Usman. So it was very meaningful. I mean, it was extremely meaningful. We said this guy needs five fights before he can have an opportunity. We gave him those, we gave him that same opportunity, but the belt just wasn't up. Oh, and by the way, he succeeded. That that is a damning statement that I just made. That 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 is a, a math and, and, and a rhyme that, that you really need to understand. He couldn't get the match because Kamara had the belt. Kamara's no longer got the belt. Oh, great, give him the match. Well, it's the same guy doing the same things. Can he beat him or not? Turned out the answer was yes. So, okay, now we've got this bow situation. How many squash matches can we do? Oh, and by the way, if you don't agree with me and you don't think it's a squash match, what we're going to find out real fast, we're going to find out is this a squash match that is done to promote Bo Nickel, which has never been done in the UFC. Conor McGregor did not have those types of favors done for him. Brock Lesnar on day one had to go against a two-time world champion named Frank Mir, who happened to be on a downward skid. He rocked a motorcycle. I remember the whole thing. Still a two-time world champion. So this has never been done, but we're going to find out if this is what's being done. Real simple, is it put on the main card? If we put a squash match on the main card of 300, then yes. We're just, we're playing a game. Bo's got an uncle or a grandparent, somebody that works within the office that hasn't been identified yet. Like that, we're going to know. I mean, the, the, the mask will be removed. And we will have a full understanding of what's happening here. If he's put on a main card, if he's not put on a main card, then we're going to have to just look around and go, well, what are we doing it for? Why would we do a squash match, according to the odds makers, with an undefeated star who's 27 years young against Cody Brundage on an under? Why are we even doing it in the first place, right? I mean, you're, you're in a massive juxtaposition. And you're going to be massively forced to answer the question one way or the other. Why is this guy getting carried? Or this guy is not getting carried as an undercard. Why are we even doing the match? And it is a peculiar situation. And you're either able to follow the logic that I laid out for you about Shemaev does not get to fight Usman until he gets five more fights and then two fights later being in there with Usman. You're either going to get that logic or you aren't. Oh, and by the way, he wins the match, Shemaev. I will never forget the night, but a friend of mine, training partner of mine, Pat Cummings, had never fought in the UFC. He debuted in the UFC because he was willing to do something that nobody else in the UFC was willing to do, which is to fight the bear himself, Daniel Cormier, on two weeks' notice. So it ends up being a co-main event spot, which, by the way, Daniel wants. Dan Daniel then goes into a world title fight, his first ever world title fight. It's very important that you know that, because I will see so many fighters go, well, it doesn't make sense. Doesn't move me up the rankings. It doesn't do anything for me. Daniel Cormier fought a guy who'd never even been signed to the company, and that was his fight into a title shot. So don't you tell me what makes sense, because you don't know. Now, what would have happened if Pat Cummings won that fight? Would Pat Cummings have been shown the same respect? Would have he gone right into a title fight in his second contest? Why shouldn't he? He just beat the guy none of you could beat, and he took an opportunity that none of you were willing to take. Why shouldn't he be rewarded for that? And when you start to understand these types of things, you do start to ask yourself, what is the plan with Bo? And it's not a matchmaker's fault, by the way. Like the matchmaker did nothing wrong. 
when you make a match and then the odds makers look at it and go, well, I know more than you do and I'm willing to put my money on it. And you get a major house like DraftKings that's willing to pay that guy to set the line who looked at it and said, hey, matchmakers, you screw this one. Like nobody here did something that they weren't supposed to do. But it's still a very meaningful question. Does Bo have an uncle or a grandparent over at the UFC? No, no, that's pretty darn unlikely. Pretty, pretty unlikely. If he did, he wouldn't have had to wait till he's 26 years old to get signed in the first place. He wouldn't have had to come to the Contenders Series twice instead of once in the first place. No, he's not getting any favors. Well, what could the other option possibly be? The other option, he's a hell of a lot better than you guys are aware. Now you got an odds maker that's willing to part with his money over your mouth of your rankings room. Your rankings room, which is yet to be identified, if that's one person, if that's 12 people, or if that's a computer program that just spits out these names with numbers next to them every Tuesday by 9 a.m., They apparently don't have the courage and or the balls. They're not putting their money with it. DraftKings is putting their money with it. They're telling you Bo Nickel's a lot better than you think he is. Why would an outside firm have more courage and more wisdom than your own rankings room? That's the question that's being asked here. Don't shoot the messenger. It's plain as day. This isn't Chael versus you. This is your partner your sports betting franchise partner who says you, Rankings Room, don't know what you're doing. Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit, and Anthony Smith came right up to me, and he's asking me where I got them. I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. 
and they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do, and Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style, plus their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to decovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Piera versus Aspinall, UFC 300, heavyweight championship. Where are you guys? Where, where are you at? You in or you out? So, I mean, this is nothing more than an internet rumor. But, lots of fights start as rumors on the internet. One of the fighters is smart enough to get it out there. Get it to the people. Get it into your hands. And then if he's got any luck, the other fighter agrees. And then they start talking about it as though it's a done deal. 
And then media partners pick up on it and people spread it around social media. And it looks as though it's called a, a perception of a sale, but it looks as though it's already sold. Well, now you have to, right now you darn near have to go out and make that happen. Lots of fights come this way. I can tell you the Ultimate Fighting Championship has no interest in doing a champ-champ situation with that kind of a spread. It's very different to do it between 155 pounds and 170 pounds, or 155 and 145, or 135 and 125. It's very different to do it from 205 pounds to 265 pounds. But this is a very different time. And when Piera started this rumor, 30 plus 300 equals three. So 30 pounds by UFC 300, Give me three championships. Very good riddle. And Pierre is kind of a can't miss. Like, like on one hand, this guy is so dull and he is so dry. But, but on the other hand, I don't know if he's ever done anything on social media that I couldn't recite for right off the top of my head and tell you. Because it's compelling and it works. And this was no different. I don't even suggest for you that he came up with a 30 plus 300 equals three. I suggest for you that he was smart enough to identify that whoever gave him that piece of artwork and intelligence, go, go put it out. And he did. But you, you want to know something. You want to know what made this difference. The one guy that doesn't want that fight, the one guy that's never going to want that fight, the one guy that's going to laugh it off, the one guy that's going to do anything that he can do to make sure that no wind gets in the sails of that fight is going to be your heavyweight 100% of the time and every time. Because the heavyweight's got everything to lose, right? Perception is reality. The last thing a heavyweight wants is a guy from one weight class below coming up. It's the one thing they don't, they don't ever want to have happen because it will take that perception away. I not only am going to lose, I'm going to get beat up by a guy that's smaller than me. That just can't happen. Well, except in this case, because Tom Aspinall said, come on. And that is what changed everything. I don't think that that was in anybody's uh, rear view including Piera when he put it out. I don't think anybody would have surmised how open and willing and excited about the concept Tom Aspinall would be. So now you're in a very different spot, right? You're, you're in a spot where you don't have a headliner. You don't have a main event. You've got a killer story right there. Oh, and by the way, whatever happens to your 205-pounder, it's not the end of the world considering Jamal Hill is out and coming back with an injury. You've still got a 205 pounder. It's not the end of the world with your heavyweight considering your undisputed champion is still out there. He's out with an injury in John Jones. The disruption, the ripple effect isn't quite as dramatic. It feels a lot more like a super fight. It feels a lot more like two guys that would really like to go out and fight. I don't predict for you with any stretch of the imagination that this fight is going to happen. I don't predict for you that this is being done in a, a back room and you're just about to get the announcement. But what I will predict for you is that when the bosses heard about this idea, they did not dismiss it as quickly and easily as they normally would. They did not publicly come out and dismiss it. They did not publicly come out with a different idea for Tom or publicly come out with a different idea for Piera, which would have eliminated all talks. They didn't do anything of the sort. To act as though this fight is being considered, that's fair. That would be a very accurate statement. 
to act as though it's being seriously considered, to act as though we're going to put two different divisions on hold and see if we can bring this thing together. Look, I realize that that would be a little bit strong, but Tom Aspinall has done everything in the world he can do to go get a fight. Everything. He's gone after every heavyweight out there. Now he's even going down to 205 pounds. He hasn't been announced to fight. And the reason that is is because the chances of Piera versus Aspinall are being preserved. And the same thing goes with Pierre. As big of a draw as he is and as big of a star as he is. Other 205-pounders aren't talking about him, and he's not talking about other 205-pounders, and the organization isn't talking about him or talking about others against him. Because they are preserving the idea. Now, look, I'm light on this idea, guys. I am not giving you a prediction. In fact, if you, if you told me, Chael, I'm forcing you, you got to one way or the other, I'm going to go the other. However, this is how these matches come about. And the one thing that anyone that would have blown this off would not have been able to predict is that Tom Aspinall was going to accept. That is the part that changes the entire equation. Tom Aspinall, with everything to risk, is now also going to put reputation perception being reality, he's willing to be the one so that Pierre would have an opportunity to do champ, champ, champ status. He's willing to risk it all. He's willing to put himself and his own body out there. In his first ever title defense, nobody would have predicted that Tom would have had that kind of courage, but it turns out that he does. Which is why, while that fight is just a rumor, while that's just fun for the internet, it's just as easy and just as fast to dispel those rumors. But nobody in authority has done that. Not yet. I got asked a question over here. Is Sean Strickland underrated? And... I find that to be a very fascinating topic because when you have a guy as champion, when the guy is a main event and a champion, it's very difficult, in my opinion, to say that he's underrated because underrated and underappreciated greatly go hand in hand. So I remember when Strickland fought Izzy, just for a perspective for you guys. He was a six, I apologize, he, he was not only a, a six to one underdog, but he was the number six ranked guy. And that was relevant because nowhere in Izzy's career had he fought somebody for his championship that was not in the top five. So, in that regard, I'd have to say that Strickland was underrated. He was underappreciated when they had him at number six. When it turned out, he was the best guy in the world. In fact, he was a dominant number one, if you looked at that performance over the consensus number one. I also like to defer you back to that night because he was ranked number six within the weight class because right now he's moved over to the pound for pound list and most champions are somewhere on the pound for pound list, but Strickland, wouldn't you know, is number seven. I mean, that, that is a colossally 180. He goes from number six within his weight class, number six within his weight class to to hell with weight classes, overall, to hell with gender, just tell us the skills, where does he sit, and he only moves down one spot? I mean, I would say that that's pretty high. And here's the problem with the question, as I see it, because I also felt, yes, I wanted to say yes when I was first asked this, yes, he is underrated, yes, he is underappreciated. 
But as I started to dig into this a little bit, what became a little bit clearer to me is we're really having a conversation about Duplessis. And all of a sudden, the question isn't, is Sean Strickland underrated? It's, is Duplessis overrated? And that one, I'm not prepared to give an answer to, guys. I don't have enough data. Like, to give you an analysis, I would need more data. All I know about Duplessis is he believed in himself, he spoke up, he found himself opposite Robert Whitaker, and he whipped Whitaker's ass. And I gotta word it like that, because there is not a man walking amongst you that has whipped Robert Whitaker's ass. Save one, Adesanya, the first time, right? Robert Whitaker has never been dominated. Robert Whitaker has never been beaten up. Robert Whitaker has never been thrown around. Robert Whitaker has never been finished. Robert Whitaker is not. I mean, you could just keep on doing it. Duplessis came in and did this all out of nowhere, and he wasn't supposed to. He was a three-to-one dog. He was fighting Robert Whitaker as a way of shut up. I mean, there is a truth over here that the squeaky wheel gets the grease, but there is a greater truth of be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. And this dude did not belong, this DDP did not belong in there with a future Hall of Famer and a former world champion and a perennial number one contender in Robert Whitaker. We thought, turned out we were wrong. And I really feel that that in lies the greater question as it has to do with Strickland. I don't think it's about is he underrated or is he overappreciated. I think it has to do more with his next opponent, Duplessis, and there's a question mark. Guys, I did a piece with ESPN, and I sat with two experts, Daniel Cormier and John Anik. I was number three. And we were discussing Fighter of the Year for 2023. And we had a list of four names to choose from. And on that list was Drikas Duplessis. Now, I think that that's fascinating considering we only saw him fight one time in the entire year. I think that's fascinating considering that was a stoppage. The night that he fought, the one time that he fought, we didn't even get a full fight. And he was on the ESPN, the worldwide leader of all sport, not just this. He was on the top four for fighter of the year. And you want to know something else? He should have been. There was only one other guy with one performance that was on that list. His name was John Jones. So just so you understand the company and the rare air that Duplessis' name is breathing right now, it's very interesting because we've seen guys have wonderful performances. I mean, I'll even do that uh, with Sean Strickland, who, who I'm attempting to shine up right now, but to act as though that was the best version of Adesanya that we had seen in 2023, you guys would not agree with that. You understand that some nights you have better nights and you have worse nights and you have things that come together and you have things that start pushing you apart. You understand all of these different concepts. So it, it becomes a question with DDP. Did he just have the perfect night? Did Whitaker just have the perfect, everything uh, fell apart? Those two things came together. Or can we expect a consistency out of this guy in DDP? Can we expect that this is how he's going to perform, that he's going to rise to the occasion, that he doesn't know anything about fatigue, that he punches really hard, he kicks really hard, he wrestles really well? Like, are these just things that we can assume? Or was that just a one good night? It's an interesting concept, isn't it? There was a time... The DDP versus Sean Strickland got announced, and our own partner DraftKings had a two-to-one favorite DDP. That time is gone. There was a bubble for about 72 hours where Sean Strickland took the lead and became the favorite in that fight. He's lost it. It's gone back to Drikas, but it's no two-to-one spread. It's a lot tighter. The fans are starting to pay a lot more attention.
And I am not ready to say that Sean Strickland is underappreciated. I'm not, I'm not ready to say that. But I'm not in a position to tell you, as great as DDP has looked, I'm not in a position to tell you that he deserves that quite yet. One performance which was cut short, it's, it's one of these interesting situations. As time starts to go, the only thing separating DDP and Sean Strickland, the only thing between them is time and space. And as that time and space starts to diminish, this fight starts looking better and better. All right, I feel like we're in a bit of a race against time as it has to do with Israel Adesanya. And the world's worst kept secret, because I, with the loudest voice, did not choose to keep it a secret, was to let you know that the reason that Strickland and Duplessis was rushed to the marketplace is because the winner is going to take on Izzy at UFC 300. Now, that isn't done which I've also made very clear, but that is the option that is attempting to be preserved the most. And Izzy has spoke on this, and Izzy has not given us a commitment, but he's come close. And one thing that I do prefer is that Izzy go first. I would prefer that Izzy, prior to Strickland versus Duplessis, goes first and says, I'll be waiting for you in April at 300. And the reason is because while I know that's the match that they're trying to procure, if Izzy goes second, which means we've established who the winner is, and then Izzy makes his choice, it gives the perception that it's a favorable matchup in Izzy's opinion. I will agree to it only after I know specifically who it is. And that's just not how Izzy operates. That's, that, that is no part of the Israel Adesanya story. He takes on anybody. He takes on the hardest guys. And so I would just prefer that he went first. It would also take a little bit of negotiating away if he moved in that manner. Now, where that becomes interesting to me is what do we do with Chemayev? And all everything can be smoothed out. Everything can be smoothed out if we can get the commitment from Adesanya and we can get the match between Duplessis and Strickland done prior to Chamaya's cast coming off of his hand. Like as long as long as that hand still has a cast on it, when we roll into the press conference and the media the following week, it is no problem to yank that number one contendership away. But it's a matter of for how long. For, for how long can I keep it away from him? If, if he's not the guy, is he able to face the eventual guy? When the cast comes off, does Chemayev roll right in? Because at that point, now you're talking about kicking the can damn near a year from the time he had his last fight. Understanding that, that was October 22nd of this year, of 2023. So if he's got to wait two, you're, you're pushing him until that deep late summer, early winter, and, and it's a year-long wait. And it just seems to be the, the, the constant situation that we've found ourselves in in 2023. And 2023 is the only year that I have personally witnessed where we're having number one contenders and number one contenders stacking up on each other. 
I mean, that would be a fine example. Duplessis was the number one contender. Then all of a sudden, Chimaev and Kamar Usman are going to fight for number one contendership at the very weight class that has a number one contender named Duplessis. So then we actually get that established between Kumar Usman and Chimaev. And, and I got to tell you, I, I don't love it. I know I'm not going to get my way on this. I realize you, you can't run a business this way. I do get that. But I don't love the idea that Chimaev and Kamara could fight. It would be that close. Chimaev gets hurt, and therefore we bring in a whole other guy to be a number one contender. I don't love that. I think there's something to be said for uh, what's known as a survivor's clause. So if it's down to Chimaya and it's down to Kamara and Chimaya wins and he can't go on, then it's Kamara that goes on. And we have a history within the sport that supports that, right? If you guys followed back in 93, 94, 95, back when we had a tournament, it would actually work that way. You wouldn't find somebody that had done some really great things on a different night. You'd find somebody that was in the bracket that night. Now, I know I'm not going to win my way. I know I'm not going to get it. I don't even know how bullish I am to that concept. I just share with you that I think it should be observed. Like when Charles Oliveira got the nod to go into the fight that he does not want, which is a rematch with Islam, when Charles pulled out after giving himself a, the, the scratch above the eye, the rightful guy for that opportunity was not Volkanovsky, it was Benny. Now, I'm just, br I'm just bringing this to you. Uh, you had Benny who had won eight in a row at that weight class and had a ranking. But you, instead, you went to a 45-pounder who had never won at that weight class and who had never had a ranking. Now, dwell on that all that you want. I, I, I'm just trying to come back to if we get Izzy to take on the winner of Duplessis and Strickland, okay? That is going to be so red hot, whichever whichever guy it is. But you still have to have an answer of what you do with Chemayev. And even if we ice Chemayev or even if we bring him on that card or we make him a backup fighter, or we make him a future uh, uh, feature fight that night in case something happens and we can uh, juxtapose and shuffle the card around. If those things don't happen, does he at least get it to go next? Like, does becoming number one contender mean anything, or are these just words that we use? And before you answer that question, let's go back to 155 pounds, because we had Volkanovsky, who was told, if you beat Rodriguez, and Islam beats Charles, and you guys still want to fight, we'll put you together. Okay, great, but that makes Volkanovsky, who did beat Rodriguez, the number one contender at 155 pounds, except he didn't have a bout agreement. That was given to Charles Oliveira, except Justin Gaethje gets the BMF belt after he knocks out Dustin Poirier and says that he gets to fight for the championship next, of which nobody disagrees. That means you have three number one contenders. That doesn't work. And we're seeing the same thing at 170 pounds right now. Right now at 170 pounds, even Ray Charles could see that Blahal Muhammad is the number one contender. And he had a fight of which a deal was made. If you win this fight, you become the number one contender. But now that it's freed up and Leon is available, we've heard a lot of things as it pertains to Blahal Muhammad and Leon, none of which are they are going to fight for the title next. And I just, I just wish if there's something that as we move forward in 2024, that we're a little bit more careful with. I wish that we would not stack up number one contenders. That's what I wish. I would love if we had clarity on two different things. First off, what is it to be a number one contender? What do you have to do and what comes with it? What do you get with that? And I think we've got some pretty good answers, by the way. I just, I just, I would just, they were just stated. For example, Duke plus E when he becomes the number one contender. When they offered him the fight against Izzy and he said no, that debt is now paid. I think that's the way it is, and I think if it was just stated, there wouldn't be hard feelings and there wouldn't be confusion. 
I would also offer that we give a little bit more clarity into the interim championship. How long can you be interim champion? How long can you be undisputed champion in the closet for any reason, for any reason whatsoever before that belt comes off you? And is it an unestablished amount of time? And if you have an undisputed champion and you have an interim champion and they're both back and they're both healthy and they're both competing at the same time, can that even happen? Because by definition, it cannot. But by history, it has happened before. I can't quite remember the threesome, but it was, it was Randy Couture, Brock Lesnar, Frank Mir. There was something along these lines where there was an active champion and an active interim champion, which goes against the very definition of interim. I just wish that we did have a little bit of clarity on that. I do hope that we don't revisit it. I don't think that it's right to a guy like Blaha Muhammad to believe that I'm next. All I have to do is wait. It takes, it takes a massive amount of patience to wait, right? Like we, we only talk about the side of the story that it holds up a division and that you're unwilling and don't wait and good things don't pay off. We, we only talk about that side, but there is another side that has to do with perseverance, that has to do with patience, that has to do with I already earned something and why take a greater risk? I mean, it's, it's an interesting spot. If you were to look at what, what Michael Chandler, who electively has been unemployed for well over the year, but what he was trying to get, which was something that he had earned, like there is two different ways to look at it. And it would be easier for us to look at it. Because look, I, I'm like you. I'm no, no different. I love to look down my nose at somebody else and act as though I have the right answers. I enjoy doing that. But to do that and do it with a level of confidence, there are certain terms in our sport that are very common colloquialisms that we do need to assign official definitions to. Let's start with number one contender. And let's start with the fact that you can't have two at the same time. And then let's move on to interim champion. And let's understand that we cannot have an active champion and an active interim champion. Not at the same time. Your move. If you are a great fighter fighting outside of the UFC, you are wasting your career, quote, end quote, Joe Rogan. And it's a simple statement, isn't it, guys? And you've, you've thought it many times. You hardcore fans have had that very conversation with your friends, haven't you? But nobody's actually brought this forward. No, nobody's actually set that down out there. Dana White has never said it. Never. Joe Silva didn't say it. Lorenzo Fertitta didn't say it. And I'm sure they thought it. I'm sure they were like you. In private conversation, they never actually said it. Scott Coker never said it about his guys. Hey, if you're not fighting here, you're wasting your career, right? It's one of those things. Ray Seffo has never said it. I mean, just by example, it's never actually been stated. And it was very powerful once it came out of Joe's mouth. Now, Joe's premise for that is nobody's watching. That's why you're wasting your career. It does not matter how good you are. Nobody's watching. And that is the litmus test that I would love to discuss with you. First off, everything's perspective, isn't it, right? Everything is perspective. Like, if I was to tell you, you're going to do eight hours of work and you're going to hate every second of it, but you're going to do it because I'm going to give you a pack of cigarettes when it's done. And all of a sudden you go, hey, man, hand me the shovel. Hand me the shovel and stand back. That isn't going to happen, is it? That pack of cigarettes isn't going to 
get you to go put in eight hours of work. But in prison, it does. In prison, that would be a great big reward. If I told you you're going to get a pillow and an extra blanket if you do a week of hard labor, that's not going to motivate you. But in prison, it would. And I only bring that to you just to share perspective. So I know what it's like to fight when nobody watches. I had had three, four, five, six, seven. I was on my seventh fight when the venue I fought at possessed a camera. And that wasn't live and that wasn't going around the world. But back then there was something called VHS. And if you waited three or four months and they liked your fight, you you could get stuck on a shelf somewhere. So in today's world, use the likely suck, especially got one championship. You got the the the, the Bellator PFL, even though it's the same owners, you're gonna have a Bellator brand, you're gonna have a PFL brand. Bare knuckles out there doing its thing. You got top rank, you got Eddie Hearn. I mean, not, not for nothing. Even if their numbers, right, you're, you're going to have your hierarchy, of course. You're, you're going to have somebody that's watched the most. But even the lowest watched, if it was to go back to my first seven fights, my goodness. I could only imagine what that would have been like. So, so the idea that nobody's watching right now, we're in a digital world. You got social media. I didn't get to live like my, my high school and college career, some of the hardest I worked, some of the biggest sacrifices I ever made. I speak for my teammates as well. We didn't get any kind of recognition. We would have loved to have done that just to have somebody snap that off and put that on Twitter. Oh, we'd have gone and read it. Maybe we'd have had 10 or 15 comments. Oh, could you even imagine? We, we'd be on the bus headed back to Eugene. We'd all be reading over each other's shoulders to see if there was a, one single thumbs up or a like. So the idea that nobody's watching, I mean, I, I'm just sharing for you, it would come down to perspective. And then overarching to Joe's point, because we do all get it, don't we? We do all get it. But what is a career? And what are you looking to do with your career? Were you looking to be recognized? Were you looking to win a belt? Were you looking to win a specific championship? Or were you looking to make as much money as you could? And, and a lot of times, wherever the most eyeballs are is the most money. I, I get where that would make sense, but not always. And you would have to wonder which one you are. And let's say a genie pops out of a bottle, right? He's got, he's got ultimate power, the magic wand, but he's going to give you a choice. Be world champion. And it doesn't matter how good you are. We're, we're going to get a world championship around you. Believe They put the belt around a, a plenty of guys that sucked. We're going to get you a world championship. I'm not going to tell you anything about where your skills will be. I'm going to get you a world championship or I'm you're never going to be world champion but I will have you a jackpot full of money that when this game is done being played, what you do with your time for the rest of your days will now be a choice. When a guy says he made enough money to retire, that's what he's telling you. I can now do what I want with my time. I'm no longer trading hours for dollars. So if the genie pops out of the bottle, which would you rather have? Would you rather be the world champion? And who knows where you go from there? Maybe you turn that into money, but maybe you don't. But you have that accolade, you have that accomplishment, you get that recognition from the world. Or when you're done playing this game, you will spend your time doing what you want. It'll be a choice. 
And I'm talking about money. If you had to choose between those, which one would you choose? Because there's a number of reasons to understand where you are in your career and who you are as an athlete. Do all of those eyeballs and all of those people create an environment and a pressure that is going to wilt you? If you know that about yourself, there's another path. And what does make a career, right? I mean, that, that, that's the interesting part. That's, that's the entire interesting part. You're wasting your career. Well, what is a career? I have admired guys, and I got this from a friend of mine named Daryl Christian. He's one of the great athletes that I ever grew up with. One of the absolute best. Would have been our Olympian. He's a two-time Open champion. This guy was great. And when it was all over, he told me that something that he will look at other guys in value, it's no longer an undefeated season or a gold medal here or there. That what he will look at in value and envy and wish that he had was guys that had an ability to extend their career. Guys that found a way to stay in it longer, to have more memories, to live that lifestyle. And it was very impactful on me. And as I got out of the sport, I fully understood what Daryl meant. So I'm just suggesting for you, what is a career? If, if you've got a path and less people are watching, maybe less people are watching because it's not as good. Maybe the competition isn't as good. But you're smart enough about yourself to know I can go out and get five more paychecks over here than I can over here. And the money's equal, which means I can make five times as much over here. And I was never in this for people to watch. I mean, that's the kind of guy that needs people to watch. I've lived that life. Like, I, I don't judge that guy. That's a great motivator. But, but that's a kind of guy, right? Steve Miocic, by example, does not need anybody to watch. He's not looking to go out and get cuts in line at the strip club on Friday nights. Most fighters are. So they need those eyeballs. They need that bouncer to call them up. And they need that girl with the daddy issues and the tattoo on their back to be giving them the bedroom eyes. They need that. But there's other guys that don't. I got Miss Brittany. I don't need. I don't need any of those things. But Miss Brittany likes nice things, so I got to go get the money. Right? I mean, it's one of those situations. So my career isn't going to be adjudicated on how many people are watching. Not to mention, when all those people are watching, that guy's got a fifty percent chance of getting his ass kicked in front of all of those people. Like I, I'm just. Not, I'm not convinced. That that's the only thing that a person looks at, but it sure is an interesting point by Joe. Because if you do go look at the market and you do go look at the landscape, the UFC pays market value every time. The UFC is the leader in upping market value. The UFC is the only organization that keeps doing this to their bottom, but they do pay market value. Guys go out and they get shopped around, they come back and forth, and a lot of times Dana will go, hey man, I'm, I'm at my limit. And the guy's a whore. The guy just wants more money. And he goes and signs somewhere else, which is no problem at all. But they're usually kind of equal. And to, and to Joe's point, it sounds like they shouldn't be. I mean, to Joe's point, if this is where the attention and this is where the prestige is at, I shouldn't have to pay you what he does. If he's going to pull you away and put you over here in front of nobody... As opposed to me, he's putting in front of everybody. He should have to pay you how many times more? Five? What would you do it for? Three times? Twice? 
You're probably not going to do it for even money. If it's even money, you go where the eyeballs are. But it's always been even money. It's always been market value. And a lot of people go over here. Why? Maybe they don't see it the same way. Maybe they don't see those eyeballs. Maybe they see an opportunity coming. Maybe they see longevity coming. UFC can cut you at any time. Generally, nobody's eligible to be cut. Per the contract, this isn't what I'm talking about. Per the contract, it's at any time. But generally, nobody's eligible to be cut until they lose two in a row. And most guys get to lose three in a row before they actually are cut. And you might get a better deal over here. Even money, less people, but I got a four fight guarantee I can lose them all. I mean, right, but that's part of your career. See, this is, this is what a career is. Career is what you did with your time, with your skill set to make a living. That's what a career is. It doesn't have to do with how many people were watching. And when it's all said and done, sure, people would like to be recognized. Sure, people would like to be appreciated. Sure, they, they would like that, but it goes very fast. And... If you are a single guy out on the town and right, you you need that kind of adoration. It's a very different thing. If you're a married guy and you got right, I mean, it's one of these situations. This is what I'm gonna do each day, right? I got a little maniac sitting right right over here, it gets me up every single day at the same time. It doesn't matter how I feel, it doesn't matter what's going on, it doesn't matter if I won, it doesn't matter if I didn't win. He wants to play. It's one of these situations. What do I need that attention for? What do I need a hundred thousand people to watch me for? I don't care if anybody watched me, I was fighting him for the money. I was fighting for the accomplishment. I was fighting for the reward. I was fighting because I like to fight. I'm, just, I'm filling in the blank. It's a great point by Joe. But, but it would come back to, is that what it's all about? Is it all about having people watch? Having people know that you did it? Be, because while those people are going to see you win, you've only got a 50% chance of that. You also have the 50% chance of not winning. And what about the guy that was able to extend his career? Or what about the guy that was able to understand this is the perception of my skills, but here's what I actually know about myself and I can do my best work over here. It's even money, more eyes over here, even money, more eyes, twice as hard. My job as a fighter is to make the most money for the easiest match every time. So it, it's very interesting philosophically what is a career? What is a career? Just having the most people see it, having the most people recognize it? That, that's really great if you're an astronaut and you're trying to get to the moon and you're the only one that did it. This is a fist fight. You have a 50% chance of failure. Now, I'm going back and forth to demonstrate that I see both sides. I take the attention. I'll roll with Joe. I, I see it in a very similar way. But... It's interesting coming from Joe because the guys that he personally looked up to didn't. If you follow Joe, it's between Hicks and Gracie and Eddie Bravo for his jujitsu idol. Both have something in common. They never fought in the UFC. Or if you looked at who Joe says is just the, the overall all-time greatest, it's Fedor Milenko, who never fought in the UFC. The greats will get their due and the greats will be recognized because the greats will find a way. And in today's world of social media and statements and interviews that you could do, he called Joe himself the biggest guy out there. He'll have you on if he respects you. I mean, it's just one of those things where you could get your message and you can get your story out. 
But if you're a dum-dum that just wants to go to work three times a year, oh, punch this, oh, punch that. I mean, if, if you're a dum-dum, what's the difference if people see you? What's the difference? You could sit a brick down at your mother's table. They'll, 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 she'll try to feed a meatloaf. What difference does it make? If you have a personality and you have an attitude, you have something special that you can bring to the table. You have some claims to make people haven't heard before. You got the balls and the skills to go out and back those up when you're given a chance. It's, it's one of those situations. There's a lot of ways to get eyeballs. Do you need people watching? Hickson didn't. Eddie Bravo didn't. I think Fedor did have the people watching. I, I, I think he did. But just to use the example, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting claim. It's powerful coming from Joe. But I'm just wondering if you guys agree. Would you agree that the measure of a career no matter how quick, how short, or how little of money you made, comes down to eyeballs. And if you had a million eyeballs in one night, and the other guy had 300,000, I mean, you have this huge discrepancy. You could fight over here one time in front of a million or nine times in front of 300, right? I mean, ma math is very hard. It's a very hard thing to do. There's no, there's no way to know if you have 300,000 times nine or you have a million times one. Like there's no way to know which number is higher, but it would seem if you could guess and you were to guess right, that there's a little bit of a conversation and discussion to be had. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. I'm hoping you all could do me one favor to close out this year. I want you to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. I want you to submit a five-star rating. We both know that I deserve that over on Spotify. And I want you to enjoy the weekend, everybody. Make sure you come back for the first show of 2024. That's going to be on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you 